Hello, baseball fans. Welcome to Sully Baseball Daily, the podcast we talk about baseball 365 days a year. Unless it's a leap year, and then we're going to do another one. I've been doing this every single day since October 24th, 2012. It's now the 18th day of May, 2016. I'm your host, Paul Francis Sullivan. Please call me Sully. I'm recording from a Sully Baseball studio in Palo Alto, California, the birthplace of Oakland A's manager Bob Melvin, and just a line drive from Sunken Diamond, the baseball home of the Stanford Cardinal. I was going to talk about this, and I wasn't sure if I should bring it up or not, because some of the stuff that I want, there are two things that I'm going to talk about today, and one of them is not 100% confirmed. But I decided to go for it anyway. I was holding off and I said, do you want, we're hearing it from enough outlets, maybe I should talk about it. And one of them has been confirmed. So let's talk about the confirmed thing first. The Atlanta Braves went into this season with expectations lower than whale fecal matter. And so far, boy, oh boy, have they followed through. Now, I'm recording this before the day's ball games have begun, so you'll bear with me for a second. I don't have all the results of the 17th of May in as I'm recording this. Uh, it is the Braves are going to be playing the Pittsburgh Pirates. If the Pirates happen to win today's ball game, the Atlanta Braves will still be the only team in baseball here in mid-May, almost late May, without double-digit victories. They are currently... As I'm recording this, their record is 9-28. 9-28 is not a very good record. I would call that a really bad record. In fact, it's the worst record in baseball. Now, I've made this point before that midway through the 2014 season, the Braves were in first place by themselves, and they looked like they were going to be one of the most consistent teams in baseball in terms of their postseason appearance. And since midway through the 2014 season, they have been horrific. Now they are playing, if they keep playing at this pace, the Braves will go 40 and 122. They are on pace to be the worst team in terms of win-loss record in the history of the 162-game schedule which began in 1961. This is shaping up to be one of the worst teams of all time. And yet, the Atlanta Braves are a team that I do not look upon with doom and gloom. The Atlanta Braves have done some things spectacularly well. They are building up a farm system, and they have pulled off a couple of trades. And some of the trades they have made, especially the one involving Shelby Miller, has brought in a potential franchise player, Dansby Swanson, and they are loading their team up as if to say, look, we know we're going to be bad. We know we're going to be bad. And as of this recording, all four of the other teams in the National League East are within striking distance of first place. The Atlanta Braves are already two weeks off the pace. There are already 13 games in the loss column out of first place. They are already a disastrous mess. As of this recording, they've played 19 home games and won two of them. Think about that. Two home games 
all year they've won. You know, on the road, they're better. They're 7-11. and 11. They're a slurpy. They've won nine games this year. They're terrible. This team is horrific. And yet, it's not a surprise. Sure, if I went back in time to 2014 midway through when the team was in first place and looked like you know, they'd won the... They had won the wild card in 2010. They were part of the collapse in 2011. They missed the playoffs on the last day. They were a wild card team in 2012. They won the division in 2013. And they're in first place midway through the season in 2014. Yeah, the Braves look like a team that, yeah, they're going to be there year in and year out. And since then, it's been a disaster. And if you take a look at this team, um, you know, six home runs leads the team with Freddie Freeman. Bartolo Colon would be tied for second with one home run. Noah Syndergaard would be in second place with two home runs. This is a team that has no power, that has one legit major league hitter in Freddie Freeman, possibly Nick Marcakis, and they're starting pitching, well, Julio Turan has been fine. Don't look at his record. His record is 0-4, but he's pitched well. Matt Wisler has also pitched well. Mike Font- uh, Fontanewitz, is that how you pronounce his name? He's pitched well. Adreas Vizcaino, he's pitched well. Uh, Hunter Cervenka, uh, uh, I can't pronounce half these names. He's pitched well. There have been, there's been some decent pitching. Aaron Blair's had uh, a couple of okay games. But this team cannot hit. This team has been outscored. Let's see. They have uh, they have allowed 181 runs. They have scored 114 runs. They have been outscored by 67 runs. According to the Pythagorean win-loss, they're 11 and 26. Something had to be done, and they fired Freddy Gonzalez. Now, my question is this. Why? We're about a quarter of the way through the season, roughly. You know, uh, uh, was it uh, Memorial Day is just about the one-third of the way through the season. So let's say, yeah, we're roughly a quarter of the way through the season. And Freddy Gonzalez is fired. And he is replaced by a human being whom I have never heard of before. Um, and it's a you know career... Um, minor league manager and coach by the name of Brian Snitker. If I paid a little more attention to the Braves and their coaching staff, then maybe that name would would resonate. Now, Freddy Gonzalez, yeah, he oversaw the great collapse in 2011, and since midway through the 2014 season, the Braves have been a horrible, horrible team. But, to be fair... He's had two seasons as a manager of the Braves where he's won one season where he won 94 games, another season where he won 96 games. And in two of his seasons in Miami as a manager of the Florida Marlins, he put together winning seasons even though the Marlins did not put together a payroll that was even fair. They didn't even put together a payroll that was competitive. And yet he had the team win 84 one year, 87 in 2009, and finish in second place and be in the periphery of the wildcard hunt in 2009. 
He's had some success as a manager. Absolutely he has. In fact, he finished in the, he got manager of the year votes in five different years. Now that doesn't always mean piddly-poo because we know Matt Williams won the manager of the year in 2014 and by 2015 he was fired. And Bruce Bochy has never won manager of the year as the manager of the Giants. So yeah, that's not the best metric, but at least for a while he could have success. Freddie Gonzalez is not a dummy. But when you don't buy the man groceries, how can you expect him to cook a gourmet meal? Yes, they collapsed under his watch in 2011. There was no excuse for that. Yes, they collapsed under his watch in 2014. Yes, they collapsed in the 2013 postseason, which for should have, why they didn't bring in Craig Kimbrell in a key situation, uh, scientists, poets, and historians will never ever be able to figure out. Why fire him now? Why do it now? To show Braves fans that you won't accept this? Why? This is what was expected to happen with this Braves team. This team is going to go into a new stadium next year. It's going to go into a new stadium with a very young team. And the Braves are going to go in and probably get the number one pick in the draft. Which means they'll get another shot at a franchise-caliber player to stick in there, along with Dansby Swanson, along with some of the other players who they are bringing up through their system, of which they should be in decent shape by the time they get to the new ballpark. They may not be. Uh, you know, Last year they had the number 14 pick overall and drafted someone named Colby Allard. Do you know who Colby Allard is? I don't, and you don't know him either. He's currently pitching in the Gulf Coast League as a young kid, and he could be wide up. He's so far off to a dynamic start. And actually, no, that was last year. I'm looking at his stats from last year. He's, his season hasn't begun yet. Anyway, it doesn't matter. They're going to bring up young kids. They're going to probably get the number one or two pick overall and possibly bring in another potential franchise player. Freddie Gonzalez, and we all knew going into this year, especially when they started making some of the trades that they were putting together, that everyone knew this was going to be a lost season. So what is the purpose of dumping Gonzalez for Snitker at this point? Is it because Snitker was the minor league manager of their AAA team and said, well, hell, if we're just going to have a AAA team, why not have the guy run it? Or is it just sort of a, I don't know, a cynical move? Where they say, hey, we got to show our fans, we got to show our fans that this will not stand. What? Your plan? Your plan will not stand? This is what we went into this season thinking was going to happen with the Atlanta Braves. I thought keeping Freddie Gonzalez was essentially their way of saying, hey, this is our organizational stability this guy who was a lieutenant to Bobby Cox all those years, as if to say, look it, we're, we're going to be stable here. You know, I mean, as I mentioned this on a previous podcast, Gonzalez and Cox have been, one of those two have been the managers since mid-1990. You know, and Cox also uh, managed several years in the late 70s, early 80s. But since 1990, you've had Bobby Cox, you have Freddie Gonzalez, you've had that sense of stability in the Atlanta Braves organization. So what does this, this accomplish? 
I mean, is this just a cynical way to sort of say, oh, we'll placate the fans to say we won't accept it? I mean, Braves fans are smarter than that. Braves fans may not have the greatest reputation in the world, but I'll stand by. Braves fans know what is going on. They're going to hit rock bottom. They're going to hit rock bottom for this year, maybe next year, knowing that when they move into the new stadium, maybe a year or so later, they will have a good quality team that they've built up. They're pulling an Astros. They're pulling an Astros big time. And I have a feeling before the season's over, the only name that you're going to really recognize on this team is going to be Freddie Freeman. It would not surprise me if Nick Markakis hits that he'll go to a team that needs an outfielder. If Jeff Francoeur hits, they'll go to a team that needs an outfielder. Then A.J. Perzinski, if he hits, or Kelly Johnson, if he hits, or Eric Ibar, if he hits, that down the stretch, they'll say, hey, we can get a young player. Or maybe they'll package a couple of them together and get a couple of players back. And boy, oh boy, if you don't think that someone like Julio Turan is going to be traded, you're bonkers. Yeah, I know he's only 25, but he's only 25, and he could probably bring in two or maybe three really good players in return. Yeah, it would be nice to see Julio Turan stick around like Freddie Freeman. Julio Turan's been with the team for six or seven years at this point. It would be nice to see him be part of the team when they have their renaissance, but it's probably not going to happen. It's probably not going to happen. And they can probably get two very good players for Julio Turan. So how is bringing a new manager going to change any of this? It strikes me as bananas. Unless you take the point of view, and this could be a valid point of view, that, hey, we don't see Freddie as our guy for the future. So let's just make that change now, too. We've made every other change. I think Freddie Gonzalez will find another job because he has had success. We saw what he did, as I said, with the Marlins. We saw what he did with the Braves. And you sometimes want to have someone as a manager who has had some ups and had some downs. I'm looking at you, Tigers, because it's going to be before long you wind up pushing Brad Osmus off the boat. I'm looking at you, maybe the Twins, as there's some grumbling going on about Paul Molitor. One year after he's a genius, he, there he is people grumbling about him. You know, and inevitably the Marlins, you know, they fire everyone within two minutes. You know, I mean, you take a look, maybe the Cincinnati Reds. Well, I mean, some teams are going to have managerial changes before this year is up. Now, I think the Detroit Tigers are the, the clearest potential one. I think the Reds um, and eh, that's probably the biggest one. I mean, if there is... If Joe Girardi, if the Yankees really fall. But do you know what? Yankee managers aren't really in trouble. Neither Yankee general managers. There's no real pressure there. So I'm really thinking that Cincinnati, Detroit, and I always just look at Miami because they fire everybody in their moose. But Freddie Gonzalez will get another job. I don't understand why make this move now. Why not make it at the beginning of the year? Why not start the season with someone new? But... That's neither here nor is it there. Freddie Gonzalez is gone, and the Atlanta Braves will continue to rebuild. You know, I often think about those people who are isolated from reality. You hear stories of, like, 
stranded Japanese soldiers on an island who still think World War II is going on. Or maybe someone who just can't accept that a certain year has gone past. And I wonder if that's happening in Anaheim. You know, Artie Moreno, who I've said some harsh things about, although Artie Moreno, you know, proved that he was being dead honest when he was saying he didn't want to, you know, that he wanted to take a stance against Josh Hamilton and his addiction. He dumped him. I said, if you really mean that, then dump him, eat the money. Well, he did. He did. I think it was foolish of him, but he did. But I wonder if Artie Moreno is involved in some sort of time warp, some sort of quantum leap, some sort of event horizon that has made him become stuck, trapped, frozen in the space-time continuum, believing that the year is 2011. Because he has a strange obsession with 2011, with the players and the talent that is frozen in time in the year 2011 and has stayed true to that. And the strange thing is that he has the single most talented player in baseball who made his debut in 2012. And yet, the people that he keeps bringing in are the ones who were shining about, you know, five years ago or so. You know, he brought in Albert Pujols and signed him to an absolutely, and I talked about it. You know, it's this isn't me backseat driving. This isn't me being a Monday morning quarterback. I talked about this the day of the trade, and I made the video. Where I said, what are you doing signing Albert Pujols to a 10-year contract? And Josh Hamilton brought him in. C.J. Wilson brought him in. David Freeze. I made a joke saying he will stop at nothing. Artie Moreno will stop at nothing to win the 2011 World Series as he just keeps bringing in players who are playing for either the Texas Rangers or the St. Louis Cardinals in that postseason. He brought on Giovanni Soto, whose last terrific season was, guess what year? 2011. And now in comes Tim Lincecum. Now, the Angels, while they've had some victories recently, the Angels are in a bit of a conundrum. By the way, Houston Street was another one. Uh, 2011, actually 2012 was an all-star. It doesn't quite fit the paradigm. But you get what I'm saying. Now, the Angels are in a strange place right now. Their pitching staff, between Heaney and Richards, is decimated. Schumacher is terrible. Weaver has been awful. You know, they, you know, Trippiano and Santiago have been okay, but their bullpen is a mess as well. They need arms. And as much as I wanted Tim Lincecum to return to the San Francisco Giants and play that 10th year with the Giants, the fact that Matt Cain is pitching better made the sudden need to hope for a rejuvenated Tim Lincecum to be now not quite as big a deal. But the fact of the matter is this. The Angels need a pitcher desperately. They asked me. I got an email from them saying, Sully, I, I saw you posted a picture of yourself pitching when you were in Little League in 1984. I said, yeah. He said, do you think you have a few innings left in that arm? I mean, it is, it is scraping the bottom of the barrel. They didn't know what to do. 
Corey Rass has got to start for goodness sakes. You know, that they're just, they're trying to slap together something. So it makes sense that there would be a spot for Tim Lincecum. That Lincecum says he's healthy to come in and sign. Now, this is the thing that's not official when I'm recording this. It's maybe official by the time I'm posting this. But what was Lincecum's last really, really good year? 2011. In 2011, he was still a Cy Young candidate. Don't look at his win-loss record. What, what, what year is this? What do you think it is, 1982? He finished sixth in the Cy Young Award voting. He didn't have a great win-loss record, but that's because the Giants did not have a great offense that year. You know, but he still was you know, 217 innings, 220 strikeouts, only 86 walks, 274 ERA. He still was a top-quality pitcher for the San Francisco Giants. And at age 27, it looked like he was putting together a Hall of Fame career. And then he fell off a cliff in 2012. Had a bad year in 2012. Had a mediocre season in 2013. Had a, eh, not great, not, you know, a really kind of a nothing season in 2014 where he basically did a mop-up appearance in the World Series. And then last year was neither, you know, was mediocre and injured. He's not been an elite pitcher since, guess what year? 2011! That was the last year he was an elite pitcher. It's been an, more than an entire presidential term since he's been a top-flight pitcher. And yet, the Angels are looking at him like, oh man, we got ourselves Lincecum. Now, Lincecum could find lightning in a bottle. Lincecum could turn it around and be at least a decent pitcher. And, you, you know, the American League West is such a wide-open division right now that who knows? Maybe just having a pitcher like Lincecum, maybe having a pitcher, bringing up some young pitchers and having someone like him around may not be the worst thing in the world for the California Angels. And, yes, that's what I call them. And... You know, if you maybe the Mariners and the Rangers take a step back, maybe the Angels take a step forward, and maybe having someone like Lincecum on the team is what they need. What will probably happen is Lincecum will be, because eh, he's been eh, pretty much every year since Artie Moreno entered a time warp and believed that we have not changed since 2011. And so there we are. Tim Lincecum is going to try to reinvent his career as an angel. And if it works out great, he will go to one of the worst free agent classes for pitchers we've seen in a long, long time and make his mark there and somehow convince someone for a two- or three-year deal because the pickings will be super slim. Probably will be the angels because he'll just whisper into Artie Moreno's ear, what year is it? And, like Bruce Willis in 12 Monkeys, Artie Moreno will say the wrong year. And that is to Tim Lincecum's advantage. Now, I was th- hoping he would go to the Mariners because I thought that, that was, he was a Northwest boy to join a team that's currently in first place. I thought that would be a good thing. And I thought maybe the White Sox would be a good fit for him as well. There's not going to be a lot of pressure on him with the Angels. There's not. There's not a high expectation right now for an Angels team that, as of this recording, is under 500 and several games behind the Mariners and the Rangers. So if he joins the team and they don't do piddly-poo, well, they're not going to blame him. 
if they start to do really well with him there, he'll probably get an unhealthy amount of the credit. So as someone who's always been a Tim Lincecum fan, but not an Angels fan, I'll say, good luck, Timmy. Good luck, Tim Lincecum. And just remember, your new owner thinks it's 2011. He's only seen Twilight Breaking Dawn Part 1. Do not spoil Part 2 for him. So go to the up-to-date listings of who owned baseball at MLBreports.com. Go to SullyBaseball.com. Like me on Facebook, Twitter, iTunes, SoundCloud, YouTube, Twitter, Stitcher, Instagram. I'm everywhere. The music is by Ted Thacker and Patrick Kaliski. Talking Braves, talking Angels. This has been the Sully Baseball Daily Podcast for the 18th day of May, 2016. I'm your host, Paul Francis Sullivan. Please call me Sully.